Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about preserving history in our community. Our guests today are Jill Lesh, the managing director of the Monroe County History Center, and Danielle McClellan, who's the executive director of the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Jill, welcome to the program. Thank you. And Danielle, welcome to you. Thank you. Good to see you both here. Mary Catherine. Hey, Bob. Hi. Good to have you back. Glad to be back. back I was going to say, I was here last week. Trying to trick you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about history today. It's a, obviously, it's a very big topic and there are a lot of different directions we can go. So I thought I'd start out with a very general question for for Jill to talk about the, the history of the History Center. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's the old Carnegie Library building, and that was the, the local library for 90 years, or 90 years ago is when it was built in 1918. Um, it was 52 years, our local library, before it moved across the street. And before that, on that same location, was the Central School, which was known as the Colored School. Mm-hmm. And um, now it is the museum, our county museum, uh, we also built on an addition 10 years ago that allowed us to have um, exhibit space for rotating music um, exhibits that we uh, call in the community to help us with, uh, to have a store, to have a library. It's our genealogy and local history library. And to have programs uh, in, the, in the basement of what was the library when they would have programs mm-hmm. down in the basement is now our main floor. And we have programs there now. It's, it's, so it's a wonderful reuse for that building. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to say that your museum shop is really outstanding. If people haven't visited that before, I know Christmas is over, but, you know, everybody's got birthdays and whatnot. <laughs> I mean, you really, it's a, it's a fantastic uh, shopping opportunity. It is the place for local things. Yeah, That's right. it's great stuff. <laughs> I want to get back to you about some of the things that are in the museum, but I want to turn to Danielle because the Busker Chumley is sort of a, a, a living history museum in a way. I mean, it's, Absolutely. A, it's history in a another sense. So uh, talk about the history of that building. The Buzzkirk Chumley Theater was originally built in 1922 as the Indiana Theater, and it was a silent movie house. It had an organ down front where live music accompaniment would um, go along with the films. There was occasional live performances from big bands to magicians to um, raffles for dishes that occurred during the Depression. It was a very common way for movie theaters to encourage patrons to come to the movies. Um, so the theater has always been a mix of both film and live performance. Um, the theater continued to operate as a movie theater all the way until... 1995, when Carisotis, which owned the building at that time, donated the building to the Bloomington Area Arts Council for renovation as a performing arts center. Um, And from 1995 to 1999, the Arts Council worked diligently to restore the building and return it to the community gathering place that it is today. BCT Management, which is a private nonprofit organization, um, has managed the theater since 2001, and it's currently owned by the city of of Bloomington and then managed by BCT Management. Now, could you talk a little bit about the uh, there there was a time when you didn't show any films, and now there are some films that are being shown. How did that all evolve? Yeah. All right, the. Um, Let's see. It's fairly standard practice in the movie theater industry when an old theater is decommissioned and sold to um, another buyer that the movie theater industry, the owners generally restrict the property so that it can no longer be a movie theater. Um, And the buyers look at the property knowing that well in advance. Um, And Carisotis did this in the same way when they donated the building to the Bloomington Area Arts Council, which was not seen really as much of a problem since there's an overwhelming amount of live performance um, in the community that needed space to occur in. Um, However, we did not want to lose the legacy of the building and its connection to film. So when BCT management took over in 2001, we went back to the Carisotis Movie Theater Company and talked with Tony Carisotis 
and ask him would he be willing to renegotiate the deed on that property so that film could continue to be part of our programming there. And he was very amenable and um, with help of uh, Vi Simpson and a large number of other community members, we were able to get that deed renegotiated so that we can now show any film in the building that is a year old or older. And in fact, in practice, in most cases, if we have a film event that we want to show and I'm able to contact Mr. Karasotis, he's always been very, very helpful and allowed us to show pretty much any film that we want to. Consequently, we have a pretty um, full calendar of film events throughout the year. We have the Golden Age of Hollywood Film Festival or Film Series, which shows a classic film from the 30s, 40s, or 50s every single month for free at the theater. We have the Cinephile Film Festival, which is Indiana films, so celebrating our local filmmakers. We have the Pride Film Festival, as well as a variety of other sort of random movie events that occur at the theater. And with the improved sight lines post-renovation, it's a great, it's really a great place to see anything. It really is a fantastic venue, especially for film. It's one of the largest screens in the community at this time. We have a 30 by 20 foot screen. Mm-hmm. Okay, that the uh, Busker Chumway and everything that's going on there could make an entire program, I'm sure, or more than one. <laughs> and we'll we'll talk more about the the theater uh, as we go along. But I, I I know we want to talk about history and, and preserving history in the mm-hmm. community in general. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask that big, broad question: Why is it important? Why should we preserve our history? Jill, I'll take that one. Okay, mm-hmm. um, we need to preserve it really to make it come alive. We need to have our community involved. We need to have it part of our heritage. We need to know that heritage. We need to be able to enjoy it, appreciate it, and act on it. Mm-hmm. And um, getting the community involved uh, with, with it is really important. Mm-hmm. I think it helps us understand why we are who we are, too, as a, both as individuals and as a community. Mm-hmm. really yeah. gives us a framework. I think it, I, I agree with that. I mean, I asked the question, obviously, and we all mm-hmm. have individual answers. Danielle, what's your answer to that? I feel that um, the history of the theater is an integral part of the way in which we direct our programming. Um, and as the primary venue in the downtown area and in many ways a sort of icon of Bloomington, Mm -hmm. what we want more than anything to occur in the building is an articulation of our culture, who we are, where we come from, what this place is about. The creation of art in this locality is really um, primary to the development of an identity for Mm -hmm. Bloomington and the people who live here. Mm -hmm. Without that expression, we don't really know who we are, just Mm -hmm. as you said, Mary Catherine. Um, And we try in managing the theater and creating program in that space to do as much as we possibly can to help our artists locally find their voice to articulate that individual locality and regionality of who we are and to bring other musicians and live performances and film that also give that articulation. Mm-hmm. I, I think it also gives us a sense of, you know, we're, we're living in the moment, of course, but things haven't always been this way and things won't always be mm-hmm. this way. So mm-hmm. we have to sort of accept the fact that we're, we're passing through time. Um, in in a sort of a related point, you know, with the closing of GE, I've yeah. been going back and looking at several articles in the paper and trying to get some history of the manufacturing industry or the ma- manufacturing and what's happened. And it, it, even though I've been here through a lot of plant closings, it's just fascinating to go back and look and see how you know people who are in Bloomington now think of it as this, as a community with a lot of high tech industry and a lot of life sciences and all that. But you, it hasn't been that long ago, and we had thousands and thousands and thousands of people working in factories. Mm-hmm. The GE plant had thirty two hundred people at its peak, and, mm-hmm. and Thompson RC, RCA had eighty three hundred people at its peak working in those plants. So it is an interesting thing just to. To go back and yeah, forth. we've been forced to reinvent each other many times. The limestone industry, the the kind of rise and and then tapering off of that. I think there's a lot so, of parallels to be made. In yeah. That. So at the history center, how how do, how do you display or what kinds of things do you have that would um, teach people about those those things? The limestone industry, manufacturing um, legacy. Sure. Um, in the old part of the library, which was the main library, the Carnegie Library, that's our permanent exhibit. 
And we have um, very nice exhibits on the limestone industry, the, the showers, mm-hmm. uh, furniture, and so forth. Um, and then we have the rotating exhibits that are in three different halls. And we call in the community to supplement our collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to mention when you were talking about the history is now mm-hmm. is uh, the uh, photo collection that we have. And we're inviting the community to either give us uh, photos or to let us scan some of those precious photos, but not just historic photos, photos right now. I mean, it's, if they're storefront or uh, an event, and in 50 years, those are historic, mm-hmm. and those are really valuable for us, and they will be for the community. Um, if now is a good chance, I'd sure. love to talk about two projects. One's called the Faces and Places Project, and that's where we ask people to bring their photos in, loan them to us for 24 hours or a week, We scan them. We give them back to you. Uh, You still have them, but we can use them in our mission. And uh, we are are developing a a very nice collection in that respect. And then the other is our new online database of local historic photos. And we launched that just last month. And it's on – you can get to it from our website, which is just MonroeHistory.org. And you can search by keywords – uh, anything that's in the text about the, the photograph or people. Um, you can also do just random, and it'll just keep bringing up random photos. There are over 3,000 of our over 6,000 photos up there now, and uh, every few weeks we put, a, put more up as we get more scanned and more documented. But um, the public reaction we've had has been marvelous, and people have called us then with with more ideas for photos or bringing photos in, and that's mm-hmm. just what we hoped. What kind of criteria do you use when evaluating photos that people bring in? Well, they need to be relatively clear. You need to be a big enough size that you can see them. Mm-hmm. But if they're about Monroe history, Monroe County history, or people in Monroe County, we want them. So it, you could have a picture of your grandparents standing next to their 1956 Chevy, and that would be of, of interest. It, it sure would be. Okay. All right. Yeah, turn that one over, would you? <laughs> right now. Mine would be in Wisconsin, so I don't no, think okay. she wants that. <laughs> Our phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We're talking about history in our community, why it's important to preserve it. And uh, our guests are Jill Lesh from the Monroe County History Center and Danielle McClellan from the Buskirk Chumley Theater. Um, Jill, along the lines of the, the Faces and Places project, uh, are you going to um, how are you, how are you going to use those? You're talking about the you know the online database, and people will be able to see. I assume those pictures they'll be able to see the photos. They'll be able to see them there. Are you going to have take some of them and use them in exhibits in the theater itself or in the uh, museum itself? <laughs> in, the, in the theater, yeah, in the theater right? <laughs> yeah, and the theater. <laughs> yes, uh, they'll be available for uh, various exhibits. And one exhibit that we're going to have this spring that will open in May is the history of the courthouse, which turns mm. 100 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, what life was like in 1908. So we're hoping to uh, blow up some of those photos uh, from that period. So if anyone has any photos in their attic from uh, the ni- early 1900s, that would be fabulous. Mm-hmm. Great. Now, Danielle, you've started something new at the Buskirk Chumley. I think it opened in December. Why don't you tell us about how you're telling the community about that history? Yes. Um, in December of this year, we turned 85 years old. Again, we were built in 1922. And we are celebrating in this whole 2007-2008 season um, that history and our part in the community. And one aspect of doing that celebration has been to transform our second floor textillery gallery into a permanent history exhibit that tells the story of the Indiana theater. Um, It also has a lot of very interesting anecdotes about the movie theater industry in Bloomington in general, which was um, has always been very, very strong. Um, movies has, have always been a very big part of, um, of the entertainment that occurs in Bloomington. That exhibit was um, researched and created by Susan Ferentinos, who's a local public historian and also the public history manager for the Organization of American Historians. Um, 
So we were lucky, very lucky to receive her donated time and effort to doing at least the very initial research that we would like to eventually do in a much more extensive manner about the history of the theater. And just as Jill is calling on the community for your pictures of all random events related to Monroe County, we're specifically looking for material and photos and stories that the community holds right now somewhere in their private scrapbooks and archives and basements and uh, cardboard boxes under their bed that might have anything to do with the theater. Um, The uh, available material that we were able to find in the History Center or the IU archives or in the Herald Times archives, all of those things are very, very brief. There's not a whole lot available. So we think that there's a great deal more material out there that we would like to receive. And we will be working in tandem with the History Center to make sure that material is preserved and available for larger scopes of research, as well as what we might do to display it and tell the story of the theater at the theater. What about oral histories? We are very interested in hearing oral histories. Um, uh, We have a research assistant that's working with Susan to um, record oral histories. And this could be the story of you and your future wife or husband getting together and having their first date at the theater. We actually had an event um, a couple years ago where that in fact actually occurred and someone's 50th wedding anniversary was occurring and their kids got together and staged a reenactment <laughs> to, of some sort um, along with a video sequence that played at the theater. So, you know, any story that you have related to the theater, we would love to set up an appointment with you and record that history. And you would just simply need to contact the theater. Uh, my email is director at org, or you can call 323-3020. Okay. I have several follow-up questions, but we also have a phone call. All so right. we're going to go to Charlie on the phone first. Charlie? Hello. Hi, Charlie. Yes, I'm calling as a member of the uh, Monroe County uh, Civil War Roundtable, and I want to tell Jill how much we appreciate their support. We meet there twice a month on the second Tuesday in the evening. And that meeting room just really works great, and, and we've really enjoyed partnering with them on some exhibits. And uh, we'll be doing our Civil War camp reenactment again this year, uh, which drew quite, <clears throat> quite a crowd when we did it. And uh, we really appreciate their support. Yeah, Charlie, I think it drew some people from the Herald Times. I think we had some pictures of that. Yeah, yeah. we, we went. It was, it was a ball. We had a great time. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot for the call. Thank you. All right, 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Okay, I want to follow up with a couple of things. One is what you're talking about, the oral histories, remind me of you know one of my favorite parts of, of uh, morning edition StoryCorps. And they, if you've had a chance to hear the stories that they do, and and they, they are that's the model we're working on. Yeah, it's just it's fascinating because it is just little um, slices of life that tell you a lot about history. I've mm-hmm. learned a whole lot about what it was like for people in you know I don't know what years, thirties, forties, fifties, from just those interviews. And and so uh, we we should talk. We'd be we'd be really interested in putting some of those on our website. So, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be really, really wonderful. Broader community. Uh, we really feel like the, um, the, the fact is that the vast majority of the people in Monroe County come through the doors of the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater at some point over the course of the year, um, if not multiple mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Um, and each of those moments are a memory that is, in fact, the development of history. Um, And each of those moments is the investment that that building sort of captures in its actual place. And we want to be able to make sure that all of those memories are being recorded Um, because, you know, as we're finding now, we don't have enough of them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's nice, too, we talked a little bit before the show, that people can come in at their leisure. Um, As long as the building doors are unlocked, they can go up to the the Textiller Gallery and, and, you know, check out the exhibit. We're open seven days a week from 12 to 5 at the very least and most of the day, if not 24 hours of the day, (laughs) the rest of the time. Jill? I'd like to mention an ongoing uh, oral history project that we have at the History Center. Uh, Bud Lynch takes the histories of um, Monroe County war veterans. Mm -hmm. He uh, records their stories, 
and, um, and, and we copied their memorabilia and just call the History Center for that. Yeah. Actually, Bud was on this program a couple mm-hmm. years ago sure when was. he was starting that project, I think. And, and that was it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't on, but I called in from the road, I remember. I was so interested in listening to it. Yeah, it was a great show. Yeah. Okay. A couple other things. Um, the Indiana Theater, was it the first theater in the community? Oh, absolutely not. Okay. Um, I, hmm. I wish Susan was here to be able to make sure I get all of my facts straight. But um, definitely the Princess Theater was a much older theater um, than the than the Indiana, so it was definitely in existence, and I believe almost all of them. There was a there was at least five in operation in the down like in a ten square block area in the downtown area at one time, mm-hmm. um, and over twenty that existed over the course of the history um, from the you know from the beginning of movies, mm-hmm. um, and but the princess definitely was I think. 1880s or wow. 1890s. It was a much, and it was created as an opera house, so it was even more elegant than the Indiana at that time. And obviously, that that building is still in use as a it's a, a restaurant now. The lobby still exists. The auditorium is gone, uh-huh. but the yeah, where is it? The lobby? No, or the, the auditorium. The auditorium. How do you lose an auditorium? <laughs> it caved in. <laughs> the back That's end. That's certainly oh, yeah. one way that, yeah. to lose an auditorium. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've been here long enough to remember some of these news stories, like yeah. when it caved in and when the town theater burned to yes. the ground on, um, on the corner, which is now where the empty restaurant is. Yes. Used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're still hoping someone will come into. Yeah. Right across from Scottish. Champs or something. Yeah, Champs. Yeah. It used to be, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You Club was there for a while. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that was the old town cinema. No, our history of theaters, <laughs> right? We know our history of restaurants. Here restaurants, we can. right. Yeah. <laughs> Again, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, Jill, I want to ask you about, about individuals trying to uh, study genealogy and how often they come to the History Center, how, how much of, a, um, of a, a draw for the local genealogists is it? Uh, yes, we have a genealogy local history library, and just this month we expanded the hours so it is open the same hours as the history center is open, which is Tuesday through Saturday, ten to four. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is always someone staffing that who is knowledgeable and can help people. And we have um, marvelous resources for the county. We really do focus on the county. Um, web-based, there are things that you could go, you know, as far as you want to, but the county is our specialty. Mm-hmm. And there are family histories. There are the deed books, the marriage records. Um, everything that you'd want to, to – that is the place to start. It's the Indiana Room at the library and the History Center um, Genealogy Library. Those are the two places, and they're just across the street mm-hmm. from each other. So uh, we have genealogists coming, especially in the summertime, from all over the country to uh, hit, the, hit our place and, and the library place. Okay, I've got one. This is what I love about this. I get to ask really dumb questions because I, I know nothing about doing a family. I thought that was my job. Well, you too. <laughs> we, we share it. <laughs> I know nothing about doing a family history. So if I wanted to start, you know, I know who my mother and father and my grandparents on either side were, and that's all I know. But if I wanted to start a family history and try to go back, and what would I do? What would be my first step? Well, I think you'd have to go into the to our library and ask them. <laughs> but um, there are um, records of uh, who, what businesses were where. There are city directories that are for almost every year since uh, they started making those. We've got the earliest maps of the city layouts. Um, I think you would find out where you where your family was from in the county. Start looking in those townships and get our resources. And let me uh, mention that we have a new book that just came out in December, and it's called the, Heritage, the Family Heritage Book of Monroe County. It's the second one. The one, other one was 20 years ago. And this has over 150 family histories in it with photos, and it has the story of the courthouse fish, and it has a, a brief uh, history of the county. And that's for sale in the store for $30. Okay, before we go to break, we're going to go to break in a minute. Are the Buzzkirk and Chumley families in that that Monroe County Heritage book? You you might I, not know the answer to that question. I, I'm sure they're either in the original one or in this one. Okay. I'm sure they're in one of the yeah. two, and All maybe right. both. All right. Well, when we come back, I want Danielle to talk a little bit about how the 
Buzzkirk and Chumley families, what their history is and what their connection is to the theater. All right. Well, you're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is a media sponsor for A Day On, Not A Day Off. The City of Bloomington invites volunteers to be involved with local organizations that have created service projects. Participating organizations and volunteers will be honored at the King Holiday Celebration in the Buskirk Chumley Theater, Monday, January 21st at 7. More at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Jill Lesh, who is the uh, Managing Director of the Monroe County History Center, and Danielle McClellan, the Executive Director of the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I might mention, you know, we, we serve a lot of counties, and this, this show today is pretty Monroe County specific. But if you're from outside of Monroe County and you have questions about, you know, the history of your region or um, other things about how to develop, a, 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 how, to, how to go about providing history in your region or just history in general, we'd certainly love to hear from you mm-hmm. too. So before the break, I asked about the Buzzkirk and Chumley name on the theater and they, it has historical significance. The, um, we were talking about all of the other theaters that existed at one time in the downtown area and it is true that the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater is the sole remaining um, theater that actually does exist, um, let alone continues as an operational theater. So we're very, very lucky in this community to have a downtown theater in operation that's doing both live and film performance. And we would not have been able to have that be true in our community if it were not for the Bloomington Area Arts Council and the incredible fundraising effort that this entire community put forward to save the theater and renovate it and get it back up and running again. And the Buskirk Chumley family um, was an integral part of that. They gave the lead gift to start off the fundraising campaign and thus received naming rights for the theater. Um, We continue to be in close contact with um, both Norris Chumley and Gary Chumley here in the community. Um, And... Um, Don't just, they have a historical connection to the theater itself, though, the, those families? I'm not sure exactly how far back the tie goes, but I do know that the Chumley family actually currently lives in the Vonderschmidt house. The Vonderschmidt family was, in fact, the family that built the, Buzz, the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater, what was called the Indiana at that time, as well as several other, I think, five different theaters in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, And they sort of had a thing for castles. The original um, interior of the auditorium of the Indiana had two bas-relief castles on either side of the screen. Um, The Vonderschmidt house actually kind of looks like a castle. Mm -hmm. It has a little turret and all of that kind of thing. And so the Chumleys still live there or they live there now. Um, So there is at least that connection. I'm not sure how far back the connection with the theater goes. I wasn't involved in the fundraising Mm -hmm. um, that the Arts Council did, so I didn't hear all of that history. But one of the things we're really hoping to do is get oral histories Mm -hmm. from the Chumleys. Make those connections. Exactly. That would be great. All right, 855-0811-877-285-9348, and you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Let's talk, Jill, again about some of the other um, aspects of the History Center, some of the other things in your collection. I know, you know one of the things that I always hear about uh, and I always remember seeing when I've gone into the History Center at various times is the big 
bear that used to be at Schmaltz's. I knew you were going to say <laughs> you that. Know, that's the most recognizable <laughs> thing. <laughs> In the museum, it's right at the top of the stairs. And so uh, people who uh, were around uh, for the, the Schmaltz uh, store, of course, they remember it and recognize it, and it's, it's a very wonderful icon. But now uh, school groups see it, and it's becoming part of their heritage, too, just because they see it. There's really about the first thing they see when they enter the museum. Right. Um, I, I, Daniel, I have a question about um, – we, we talked earlier about how um, – Jill, you made reference to – actually, photos you take today are, are history in, in a sense. And I'm wondering, Danielle, do you have the um, – I guess it's more of a storage issue, if anything um, – are you retaining like programs and photos from events and those kinds of things to start building your own archive for the the rejuvenated Best Kirk Chumley Theater? Absolutely. In fact, we're hoping this summer to sort of organize what we have collected thus far in the five years that are almost six now that we've been operating the theater and the material that we had left from the Bloomington Area Arts Council. Uh-huh their fundraising efforts and the beginning of their operation um, and get that organized and actually donate it to Mm -hmm. the History Center so that they can keep it because we have absolutely no room Mm -hmm. at the theater. Every single square inch of the theater is utilized for programming and what goes on there on a daily basis. Um, But this is why the History Center is such a wonderful resource in our community is that We as individuals or as organizations can simply collect that material and then turn it over to experts Mm -hmm. in preservation. So uh, as a follow-up to that, um, what are the the sort of changes that have been brought about with technology today? I mean there there are – Computer computers now can you, like you were talking about scanning photographs. I mean, does that mean that we don't have to keep big stacks of photos? We can keep them all um, in a computer. What what's sort of the uh, trend in um, preservation? Preservation, I guess. Yeah. For us, it's doing both. We we keep the hard copies in, in in the files in the boxes, numbered accession numbers and so forth. But we keep this digital library also. Mm-hmm. So uh, having that uh, digital library both in, in-house and on a web-based and a server and with a company that specializes in that, it's just kind of reaching out or it's expanding its uh, accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do both. I, I mentioned storage with Danielle. So how do you handle that? I can imagine that you know as you acquire more things and, and history progresses, there are more things uh, uh, important to retain. How do you – Storage, Store everything. Storage is an issue. Um, our third floor of the new addition is all storage and workspace. Mm-hmm. And we have one room that's just our document room, and those uh, photos are in boxes. And um, we just have to keep getting more efficient and more efficient in the way we keep our things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to eventually uh, be an issue. Do you ever have to divest yourselves of things? That, or how do you handle overflow? That. Well, what we really try to do is be selective in what we take. Mm -hmm. And uh, we welcome everyone in Monroe County to offer us things. But sometimes there are things if we have duplicates, we don't take. Or if it's better for another county, uh, we offer to that county. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, no, go ahead. No. Well, I was just going to say it it reminds me of some of the things we go through at the newspaper in Mm -hmm. because we've always kept – bound volumes of the newspaper and it's part of our commitment to history of the community but we can't let anybody touch them touch mm-hmm. them now as they disintegrate disintegrating yeah. Yeah. yeah we have mm-hmm. them back to maybe 1905 i think but they're just sort of stored away now we have them on microfilm as mm-hmm. well and now we have them you know digital copies through back to maybe 1988 but mm-hmm. so it's, the way to store these things is is changing mm-hmm. daniel what kind of items do you have in your display in the Textillery Gallery. We have um, an original poster of the film that opened the Indiana Theater, The Storm. Where did you get that? We actually got it on eBay. I love it. I love it. I mean, it's a fascinating, like, item. It's, you know, it's printed in in one color, um, but it's printed on both sides. So, in fact, in order to display it, what we did was scan it digitally and incorporate it into, you know, a placard that's on the wall. Um, because, again, just like the newspapers in the archive there, um, we couldn't display it publicly or allow it to be exposed to light or 
or it would begin to disintegrate. So, um, you know, so we have a po- an original poster from 1922. We have a film reel that was found in the building during the um, during the renovation. We have a wide um, multiplicity of photos. Um, there was a fire at the theater in 1933, and we had someone walk in off the street about a year and a half ago and say, would you like this photo? I mean, and they're just carrying it around with them. Here, here's this photo of the fire, which we hadn't been able to find anywhere. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, the anecdotal information that we received was that Herman B. Wells is standing in the photo. Of course, we can't verify that. It kind of looks like him, um, but it's only his back, so we can't really tell. Um, you know, but so all of those types of things are on display in the um, in the exhibit. There's also a memory book where we're asking people to write write us an anecdote from now or from the past, um, just a little paragraph or a page and a half, whatever you feel mm-hmm. like. And we've actually collected some really nice ones thus far. Yeah, I can't think of too many people from Bloomington who don't have some memory of that right. theater. Right. Go ahead. Jill? When you're talking about artifacts, I was thinking about the things that are hard to store and find room are furniture. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, which made me think of the chair that we have of Big Dave Van Buskirk. Oh, wow. And Big Dave is a, a very uh, a, a local hero, and he was considered the biggest Civil War uh, soldier in the Union Army, and he came from Monroe County. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have his chair and his rifle, and he survived the uh, being captured by letting himself be shown as a, uh, a, a large person, kind of an oddity. Um, and he came back uh, to the county and was elected uh, county treasurer. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great and story. A farmer. I always learn about uh, some of the, the figures from our history when I, I go about some research for the uh, Monroe County Hall of Fame, which we mm-hmm. sponsor every mm-hmm. year. And, you know, it's very difficult for people to be elected to the Hall of Fame now uh, if they were important in our county 100 years ago, just because there's so many people that, that people would vote mm-hmm. for that they've known or they've mm-hmm. seen in recent history. But it is fascinating to me to look back at, at some of those people like Dave, Van, big Dave Van Buskirk and other people that I've uh, read about and some of the amazing things they did. They would be you know, a member of the state legislature and then also be the president of the university and mm-hmm. do this and that and mm-hmm. be uh, the first county commissioners and you know, I don't know. It's just very, people very, had an amazing amount of time before email, I think. <laughs> I think that's right, yeah. Right. Danielle, uh, as, as someone looks at the theater today, how different is the um, interior? Um, mm-hmm. And I would separate it both, you know, maybe from the lobby, from the, from the auditorium aspect and the exterior of the building. The lobby is very much um, what it looked like in 1922 when it was opened. Um, The interior of the auditorium itself is quite different. We actually have not been able to verify and are hoping that someone in the community might have information that would help us um, verify whether or not the castles were in the original design of the auditorium in 1922 or if they were added after the fire in 1933. Mm -hmm. We have pictures post-33 that show the castles, Mm -hmm. but nothing before that. So we don't actually know whether or not they were there from the very beginning or if they got added later. We kind of think they were there at the beginning, um, but we're we're really not sure. Um, But the interior of the auditorium... Um, at least in the 30s, had the screen in the middle and these two castles on either side that had little mysterious lights. And I'll tell you one of the most frequent stories or reminisces that I hear from especially older people in the community when they're there to see our Golden Age of Hollywood film series especially are memories of little fairies and princes and princesses that somehow populated the castles in their imagination or I'm not sure. But um, it seems to be a very frequent um, memory that people have of seeing actual figures inside the castles. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why. Oh, interesting. Exactly. <laughs> wow. But it seems you know quite natural if you were four or five years old and you were looking at these magical sort of set pieces mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that there would be a whole stories occurring in the break between the movies. How about the exterior of the building? The exterior of the building is also exquisitely preserved. It looks essentially the way it did in 1922. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was part, of, that was a requirement of the theater becoming part of um, 
being on the National Register of Historic Places as part of the Downtown Historic District of Bloomington. The, the uh, Dogbone uh, Indiana uh, sign is such an icon for mm-hmm. Bloomington. Surely that hasn't been out there since 1926. Yes, that's actually actually true. The the Dogbone, the marquee, is quite different than what it looked like in 1922 when uh, the theater was originally unveiled. This is, in fact, the third version of the marquee that existed. There was one in the mid-30s that looked essentially like our dog bone but was slightly different. It had more jagged edges and the neon was different. Um, But the dog bone as you see it now was restored from the most recent one that existed on the building when it was turned over to the Arts Council. All right, great. All right, 8550811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348. Outside the local calling area and you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We're doing just fine without our listeners today, but we'd love to hear from them too. <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to ask Jill about acquisitions. Uh, if somebody has something that they think the museum might want, how do they go about getting it to you? Mm-hmm. Um, they can call us and, and talk to us about it. If it's something that uh, would be hard to, to bring in, uh, then we would go look at it. Uh, we have a committee called our Collections and Exhibits Committee, mm-hmm. and they review everything that's offered. Mm-hmm. So they review it for its appropriateness and uh, how it would fit into our collection. Do you, can you tell me like what percentage of things offered do you, do you actually take for the museum? Mm. Do you have any idea? Is a high percentage or maybe I would, every I other would thing guess here. it's two-thirds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you don't turn a lot of things down. But. Right. Mm-hmm. And we should mention you just received a very prestigious award. Well, the county did. Monroe County just got a National Preserve America Award for the, the community. Uh, that's a fabulous honor. Um, it's a new initiative uh, out of the White House with the Historic uh, Preservation Advisory Board and various uh, uh, federal agencies. But that will give us the us meaning the county and all any all the organizations within the county uh, opportunities for grants within that program, and um, I think Cheryl Munson really spearheaded that effort uh, with the the County Historic Preservation Review Board. But it was because we've got such a marvelous support of uh, historic res, uh, um, preservation and uh, rebuilding uh, with uh, BRI, with the city, mm-hmm. with the. Um, builders um, with the county, um, and we've got uh, so many districts that are historic districts, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and we just have a fabulous track record, and it's documented. We have good inventories, a good good, good way of uh, proving what we've got, so it's just a wonderful recognition for Monroe County. Great. Very exciting. We have callers. Okay. (laughs) Arvid is first. Arvid? Uh, Yes. I have a um, a question on uh, scanning. You said earlier in the program that you scan photographs. And um, I would like to know um, how you can ensure or is there even a way to ensure that the uh, formats that uh, they are in are going to be readable, viewable, say, 50 years from now? That's a very good question. That's why we keep a hard copy. Okay, thank you. All right, Arvid, thanks a lot. I wonder, I wonder if he meant, for, for example, Jill, you and I had an experience recently where I had a, a, a postcard that was of, of interest to you, and so you scanned the postcard and then kindly returned it to me. I wonder if he's wondering, you know, now the the uh, the scan that you have, how viable is that, or how long is that going to be um, readable? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the the scan that we make, that then we print out a hard copy. That's on good photographic paper. It's it's kept uh, in acid free environment. That that should be good. Uh, we put it on CDs and we put it in our uh, on our database. So. I hope that we'll be able to transfer these from one new technology mm-hmm. to the next. But just as a backup, we keep a hard copy of what we have scanned and give you back your original. Good old paper. Okay. All right. All right. Let's go to Elisa next. Elisa? Hi. Um, my question has to do with the uh, newspaper archives and the um, online availability of the paper. I know you say that the paper goes back to 1988 online, but I've discovered through using the obituary index at the public library online that um, actually obituaries don't go back that far. Um, They're very sporadic, and I was wondering what sort of projects there are, if there are any projects, to to, uh, 
manually enter or perhaps scan to uh, bring up the online archives to actually go back to 88 or even beyond that. Well, uh, I, you know, I, I thought our archives were pretty complete back through 1988. So if they're not, I'll just have to check sure. on that. And we do have, you know, there, there are, there is the ability to microfilm, uh, to look at microfilm. Uh, oh, yeah. at, at, you know. I do that regularly, but, you yeah. know, I have a, a day job, which yep. uh, gets in the way of library hours. And so it, it, would, it would be uh, nice. I'd love to maybe even offer some time for uh, bringing the online Herald Times up to date. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just I'll just have to check on that because I I was under the impression that we were complete through 1988. No, oh, no, no. In fact, if you uh, use the the link at the very bottom of the Herald Times website, um, you can jump to any day, you know, the day, month, year sure. um, fields uh-huh. you can enter in. And the further back you go, the fewer and fewer articles come up. And I sometimes use that approach to looking for the older obituaries. Um, sometimes even, you know, 95 is really the oldest, the, the furthest back I can go and consistently get results. Okay, I'll check so, on that. Okay. All right. All right. I appreciate your call. Thank uh, you. All right. Let's go to Valerie next. Valerie? Um, yeah, I've got a question about the Buskirk Chumley Theater. Um, I grew up in Bloomington and remember many a Saturday matinee with my uh, brother at the Indiana watching uh, such notorious features as the original Godzilla and uh, <laughs> Rodan. I don't know. How many That's years. awesome. Yeah. But anyway, um, I don't live Future. in Bloomington anymore, and so I actually have not been in the theater since it became the Busker Chumley Theater, but I gather from your discussion that the the castles are no longer there, and if that's true, then why were they removed? Um, the castles were not like recreated when the restoration of the building occurred because of um, the need for use of the theater as a live performance venue. If the castles had been there, they would be um, like obstructing sight lines, as well as there is a, a great deal of need for the um, installation of lighting bays and you know equipment area so that we could have lighting and sound for live performance. But okay, you should, well, but you they, I say. do remember them well. I don't remember any fairies or anything, but <laughs> oh, um, darn. It's too bad they're not there. So. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Mary yeah, Catherine you, actually has a comment about yeah, that as I do. well. Um, by the time the Arts Council took over ownership of the building, those were long gone. Yeah, they. So those were um, those those the demolition of those predated by some yeah. time. They the, would have had to have been recreated, right? Because um, Valerie, I don't know the last time you were in the theater, but it, it it had been subdivided into two separate theaters. There was an upstairs theater with very steep, mm-hmm. steeply raked seating, mm-hmm. uh, and a screen upstairs, and then. Um, what was originally the main floor had its own screen. And so in order for them to accommodate that, I'm sure many, many years ago, um, the, the castles were, were taken out and mm-hmm. probably, you know, as a part mm-hmm. of that um, um, reuse, adaptive reuse uh, of the building. So, um, yeah, those, yeah the, those, the, are, the castles, those are long, those are long gone. Yeah. They are, it is nice to look at the photos of them, but it would not work functionally. Right. And then it would have there. been a recreation as opposed to a restoration because, again, long we're gone. gone. Yeah. We're going to get to this email in just a minute, but I want to give uh, Danielle an opportunity to talk about Squonk. Yes. Which is coming up. And it's an intersection between the Busker Chumley and the History Center. Absolutely. Um, as I mentioned before, we're celebrating our 85th anniversary this year in our 2007-2008 season. The history exhibit upstairs on the second floor of the gallery is just part of that celebration. Um, a second very large part of that is bringing to Bloomington the company Squonk Opera. They are a multimedia performance company that's based out of Pittsburgh. Um, They spent some time in New York with a huge off-Broadway hit, returned to Pittsburgh and continue their work there. They've created um, a project called Your Hometown, the Opera, where the company comes to your hometown, involves a variety of different performing groups from the area, as well as collecting video interviews with all of the colorful people of your community and doing filming of the area, collecting archival material of your history, which is where 
the Buskirk Chumley Theater and the History Center will be working together on this project. Um, and then create Bloomington, the opera. It involves video projection, music, dance, theater, puppetry, and some of our local performers. Um, we're going to have Windfall Dancers, which has been in the community over 25 years at this point and is a wonderful resource that we have here. The Arthur Murray Dancers will be on stage as well as a wonderful IU-affiliated group um, called the Gumshoe Dancers that do a type of step dance that's based in South Africa. So they'll all be part of the show. Um, and the cele- it's really a roast and toast of our community. Don't let opera, the word opera, scare you if you're not a big classical music fan. Um, this music is very modern, um, sort of cutting edge, might have a little bit of a rock and roll feel to it at different points. Um, what they create is a spectacle that you won't be able to turn away from it and will be very appropriate for the whole family. And, and Sounds when, like a hoot. I can't when, wait. When are they coming? To town? March 20th and 21st. Okay. But we'll actually kick off their, you know, the whole creation of this with a residency where they'll be in the community February 4th through the 8th. Mm-hmm. So there'll be two performances? Two performances, one on, Friday, or one on Thursday the 20th and one on Friday the 21st. Okay. And we have, um, let's see, we have an email and then we want to talk about um, Sundays on Saturday too. So and We have two uh, minutes to do it. Okay. I'll be fast. Uh, February 12, 2009. This is an email that came in, by the way. Uh, will be the t- 200th birthday of Abraham Lincoln, who grew up just a few counties south of us. Are there any plans at the History Center or the theater to celebrate Abe and his Indiana connection next year? Hmm. We'd better get some, hadn't we? <laughs> <laughs> what a great question. Great I'm idea. Interesting thought. We hadn't, we hadn't really uh, investigated programming on Abe, but maybe we will now. All right. Well, I will pass this along to you two. And let's, let's hear about Sundays on Saturday. Yes. Uh, a week from tomorrow, that's uh, January 26th, uh, that Saturday is the kickoff uh, of the Week of Chocolate. And at the History Center in the afternoon from 1 to 4, we'll have Sundays on Saturday. And that is the history of ice cream making. And uh, we will have, uh, with the admission price, which is $2 for adults, $1 for children, members free, uh, you can make your own Sundays with all the chocolate toppings you want and uh, hear um, uh, old-time music, uh, fiddle and banjo music, and see the museum and uh, have a great time. Will we get to crank the ice cream maker? <laughs> For you, yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. All right, we are out of time. I, I appreciate both of, of you coming in today. Uh, Danielle McClellan from the Buskirk Chumley and Jill Lesh from the Monroe County History Center. For Mary Catherine Carmichael and producer Catherine... Uh, Hageman. Yeah, <laughs> Catherine Becker Hageman. <laughs> and Mike Pashkash, our engineer. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.